Well, last week we saw that, that God gave us through the scripture a mission, that we have a mission for our lives individually. We have a mission. The church has a mission. It's just we don't have to make it up. We don't have to wonder, I wonder what my mission for my life should be. I wonder what my mission for the church should be. It is established in Scripture. Jesus begins to tell us that. And so it's very, it's very concrete. But I do want you to know that a mission is not flexible. But the vision, the method for how to fulfill the mission, is very flexible. There's lots of different ways. You know, there's a mission that we should be growing spiritually, but there's hundreds of different ways to grow spiritually and different ways to have devotional times or prayer times. There's all kinds of ways to grow. But we don't change the mission, but we do ask, Holy Spirit, help us have a revelation. Remember last week we saw without a revelation, which is a word from God. Without a revelation from the Lord, the people perish. They cast off restraint. They run amok, depending upon your translation. And we need to get that revelation, that vision from God, not just our own. Like, I think I'm going to make up my own vision or my own mission, uh, my own revelation. No, that comes very clearly from God. But the vision is how to do the what, and that can vary. Again, we celebrated our 50th anniversary a couple weeks ago. Fifty years ago, Crossroads said we're not going to flex or bend on the mission. The mission is we're going to take the gospel into all of our world. But the leadership and the people of Crossroads 50 years ago said, but how are we going to do that? And they decided that they would do it in a way that's very different than how most churches in the world were doing the vision to fulfill the mission. They said, we're going to have the contemporary music of the day. They were going to permit uh, things that were, I'm not joking about this, things that were considered maybe those aren't even allowed in church, like drums and, and guitars and stuff like that. And then they said, we're going to do like some crazy stuff, like we're going to have dinner theaters that present the gospel. We're going to use drama and art. We're going to do those things. Many of you here probably don't know this, but it's before I was here, but Crossroads is one of the first uh, organizations, one of the first churches in the region to have a Christian school. There's a Christian school right here, uh, and I still occasionally there's mail that comes through. It says, to Crossroads Community Church and School. There was a school here for a few years. So different vision for how to fulfill the mission. But the mission doesn't change, but the vision or the method might. I, I heard a person say this one time, you want to marry the mission and date the method. I thought that's really true, because methods can change, but the mission doesn't change. Back in the 1970s and 80s, those who are my age or, or older, there was a vision that swept the church world that actually revitalized the church world in a lot of ways. In the 70s and 80s, as silly as this might seem, this is what revitalized many churches, thousands of them across the United States of America, and it was the bus ministry. It really was. There, the, there was this vision that started, if we get a bus, we could go. Remember, we're supposed to go ye. We could go, and we could, we could bring people into the house of the Lord. And tens of thousands of people were brought to the house of the Lord. Tens of thousands of people gave their lives to Jesus Christ in that era from, from the 70s to the 80s. And anybody who could, they were trying to get a, a, a bus to grow their church. And churches were revitalized through the bus ministry. And it was very effective until it wasn't. And now there's buses everywhere. And I'll guarantee you there's still a, a few ministries around that have a vibrant bus ministry, but most don't anymore. That just kind of fell by the wayside. 
It was a vision. It was a method for a moment to fulfill the mission of the church to go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of every nation, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. It was a tool. But God often has different methods for how to fulfill a, a mission. In the Old Testament, if you ever read, it's very interesting, if you ever read the, the wars, the battles, when Israel was in a war against somebody, battling somebody, the mission was very clear. I think this is a good mission for us to get sunk in our hearts today. Here was the mission as far as God was concerned when the children of Israel were going into battle. You're going to win. I like that mission. You're going to win. Here's the mission. We're going to win this battle. I don't know what battle you're in, but you're going to win. And so then they would pray and say, and I'll tell you, you can watch this. When they don't pray and they get a good idea instead of a God idea, it falls apart. But they pray, and God has some of the craziest ways to win battles. Can, can you imagine this? They said, here's, how, here's the battle strategy the Lord tells them. I want you to get all your singers and all your dancers, and I want you to put them out in front of the army. That was the time you did not want to be on the worship team. You know what I mean? It's like, what? what? That's, not, that's not what I, I signed up so everybody could hear the beauty of my voice, not go out on the battlefield and sing, but that was the method. Another time they said, God said, I want you to dig these trenches and I want you to fill them with water. What? When the sun came up, the trenches looked like they were blood and that the Israelites had brought in other kings to fight and that they had a mighty victory and the people turned on themselves and killed themselves, all kinds of stuff. Another time, while the people slept, God sent a single angel, and I forget how many, it's like 70 or 80,000 people, the Assyrians, were killed in the night. And the next morning, when they found 70, 80,000 of their people dead, the Assyrians packed up and headed home. One time he gets this Gideon guy. Uh, remember, I love the story of Gideon, don't you? And if you're not familiar with it, that's okay. But here's Gideon. The Midianites are stealing everything from the Israelites, and so Gideon had some grain he wanted to thresh and, and work with, but he didn't want it to get stolen, so he's hiding in the wine press. So he's down inside this hole, you know, threshing wheat, and an angel of the Lord appears to him. And do you remember the opening line the angel had for him? Greetings, mighty warrior. Don't you love how God sees you? Greetings, mighty warrior. Now, Gideon is saying, okay, i got a little problem with this uh, salutation. Greetings, mighty warrior. I am the coward hiding in the wine press, you know, taking care of wheat because I'm afraid of the Midianites and that they would steal this or possibly kill me. Angel, don't pay any attention to that. Greetings, mighty warrior. And then he says, okay, let me explain something to you. If you start going through all the ancestry of the Israelites, you will find that I am the least person in the least family of the least tribe in Israel. Doesn't matter. Greetings, mighty warrior. And so you're going to go into battle. You're going to lead a battle. He said, oh, my goodness. You know, another thing I love about Gideon, he seemed to be able to do it afraid. You know, he would just go for it. So he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, amass an army. And so God says, great, you've amassed a wonderful army. Let's cut that down. He keeps whittling it down, whittling it down. He gets it down to 300 people. 300 people that's going to fight a battle. If you read the story, the, the Bible says 
that the, the people, their livestock, their, their, their camp was, was almost innumerable. It was vast. And we're going to go up and fight them with 300 people. And if you know the story, guess what? They won. One time, the Philistines are on the battlefield, and God raises up uh, a shepherd boy uh, who is full of vim and vigor, as we used to say. And, and he wins that battle by taking off the head of a giant and carrying it around all day, apparently, because after the battle, he comes back holding the head and says, Here, here's what I am. And, and it's interesting because Samuel says to Abner, his right-hand warrior man, who is this guy? Abner says, I have no idea who he is. And I don't know who he is either. So God used a nobody, an unknown, to take off the head of a giant and win an army. I mean, the list goes on and on. I make the whole message out of that. The bottom line is, I don't know what you're going through, but I tell you this, God's destiny for you is to win. God's destiny for you is victory. God's destiny for you is to triumph. Because we always triumph in Christ. Now, how you're going to do that, I don't know. It's time for us to pray and ask God and seek the Lord. So just to look at a quick recap on the mission for our lives individually and for the, the church, Jesus said all these things in Matthew. He said that we're to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. People say, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know. Well, here's one. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's not the only thing we seek, but we seek it first. Everything good flows out of our spiritual life, so we want to keep ourselves spiritually healthy. Then Jesus tells us that we should love God, love him deeply, and love your neighbor like you love yourself. Jesus said, you get so hung up on all the rules and laws and regulations. He said, all the law and all the prophet hangs on these two things. If you will love God deeply and you'll love your neighbor like yourself, you will fulfill everything. Then he tells us, go and make disciples, baptize new believers, teach them to obey. And not teach them to obey what I say or you say, teach them to obey what Jesus says. There's the mission, the mission's clear. So I want to look at this Old Testament prophet named Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Such a cool name, it's kind of fun to say, Habakkuk. In the book of Habakkuk, it's only three chapters long, so I would encourage you to read it. And it's just amazing. And Habakkuk's got some problems with things that are going on in the world around him and what he's encountering. And so he's got some complaints that he's going to respectfully file with God. And when we see this, we'll see, wow, humanity hasn't changed. We all wonder where's God at and this problem I'm going through. And, and hurry up, God, because God's pokey it feels like and so here we see Habakkuk he's struggling with the fact that the people of Israel are being swallowed up often by pagan nations and people around them and he said the the wicked are taking over and winning over those who are more righteous than them Habakkuk says now not that we don't deserve judgment not that they're in problems with what we're doing but it's just like I'm really troubled that the Babylonians are being your, you know, your hand of judgment on all this. And so he's got complaints, and you do too. you got complaints. i got this problem. i prayed this prayer. I've believed you for this. This hasn't happened. That hasn't happened. Where are you? Habakkuk says, 
I've been crying out to you, God, and it doesn't seem like you're hearing or you're answering very fast. And so he brings his complaints before, the God, before God. But God says, I- I'm going to tell you something. Ultimately, you're going to win. You are going to win. And he said, I, I want you to know that. But God also wants us, this is difficult for us, God wants us to get on his program. What we want, I mean, I'm talking to me, you, all of us, what we, most of us want is we want God to get on our program. I've got this great idea, God, and I really think you should join me in my wonderful idea. But Henry Blackaby made it famous in his book, Experiencing God in His Bible Study. We need to find out what God's up to and join him in it because it's already blessed instead of trying to talk him into blessing our stuff. But I'm like that. Like, if I'm struggling with something or going through something, I, I, you know, in case God's busy, I figure I'll help him out. Like, I'll say, God, here's a great idea how to answer my prayer. I'm serious. I'll, I'll lay it out for him. And then I always think about this. Like, I'm sure he's going, Tracy, that's ingenious. I've never thought of anything like that. How many? And so I'll have plan A, plan B, plan C for God to fix my problem. Uh, but he may have plan D. I, so I got to join God. So I doubt most of us are experiencing, you know, something as critical as Habakkuk was, but you're going through something, and I figured this out about us human beings. Our problem is big to us. It doesn't matter if it's as big to the person beside you, but it's big to us. So we want God to move. And so God tells Habakkuk this in Habakkuk 2, 2 and 3. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation. I think the King James says vision. Write the vision. And make it plain on tablets so the herald, a herald was somebody who was given a message and they were a messenger and they would run and deliver the message. So they were a runner who would deliver messages. So write the revelation or vision down, make it plain on tablets so the herald may run with it. For the revelation or vision awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. For us, I'm serious about this. I don't mean this disrespectful. It's not meant to be a joke, although it is kind of funny to us. God's slow. He doesn't seem to come through quite like we want him to come through. That's why if you read all the Bible, I'll guarantee you one of your favorite books will be the book of Esther. Because the problems get solved just like this and that, and it wraps up nice and neat real fast. Your, your favorite story isn't going to be where God says to Abraham, one day in the future, your people are going to go into oppression. And they're going to be there for 400, and I forget what it was, like 70 years or something. You go, I don't want to hear that story. <laughs> you know, I like Esther. Things just get dealt with like that. And so God's talking to Habakkuk, and he's giving him some good information. So basically... He's challenging Habakkuk. This is so important. I don't want you to miss this. He's saying, Habakkuk, write down the vision. Habakkuk, write down this revelation from God. Write it down. Write it down. This is so important. And I'm telling you, God's into writing stuff down. God is into memorials. When they weren't writing stuff down, he'd say, I want all the leaders of the tribe to go grab a stone. I want you to pile something up here. And this is going to be a marker. It's going to be a memorial for us. So every time we see this, we remember that God did this or God did that. We need remembrances in our lives. And the word of God, when we write things down, they're remembrances for us. And so he's telling them, write it down. 
Now, I know everyone thinks, well, I got it in my head. Okay, well, you probably do have it in your head, but God tells us to put it on paper. Aren't you glad that somebody wrote it down? Aren't you glad that you're not just going, boy, I don't wonder who knows the, the, that story of the resurrection. I wonder if I can find them somewhere. No, you, you got it written down. You have the word of God written down. God's super into writing stuff down. So write it down. Write the revelation down. He tells it, make the revelation plain, meaning easy to understand. So that, now one of the translations and original Hebrew actually says this, not just so that the herald may run with it, which is a good translation, but so that those who read it may run with it. So anyone could read your vision statement, your 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 revelation from God, and they could run with it and say, I, I know what they're up to. I know what they're doing. I know how I could support them. So write the vision. Write the revelation. Make it plain. Make it easy to understand. Make it so people could read it and run with it. The concept is passing information along. How do we pass information along? It needs to be clear and clean. Now, most people don't write down their vision or the revelation. I feel like the Lord kind of showed this to me or did that. Now, I want you to notice, whatever you think God showed you, if it violates the Bible, he did not show you. He's not arguing with himself. But I do believe God can speak to our hearts, and I do believe God spoke to the founding fathers of this church and said, here's the vision. I believe that was a God-given vision. We need to write things down. We need to make it plain. We need to make it clear. And I'm going to bounce out a little bit, because these are famous verses for for, like I mentioned last week, for self-help motivational classes to use to teach. Because, again, back in the day, maybe not so much now, but if you want to teach something, if you could back it up with a Bible verse, people go, oh, my goodness, it gave it credibility. And as it should, the Bible should give credibility. But oftentimes what they were using the Bible was a misunderstanding of how it was mentioned and what it was teaching. But I want to say just, I'm going to break away for a second just to see what the world has looked at. By the way, I think every good idea the world has came from God. I think it came from him. So when people say to me, well, I think that truth could be found in so-and-so's self-help book. Probably can, because he or she probably stole it from the Bible. Because if it's worth any salt, it came from Scripture. God's word's forever settled in heaven. And so if it's worth anything, it came from the word of God. So it's just interesting, and I just looked some of this stuff up. Uh, those who are in the self-help world that talk about writing things down, setting goals, doing this and that, they say less than 3% of Americans write down their goals. And then less than 3% write down their goals. And less than 1% work on their goals every day by reviewing them and, if necessary, adjusting and rewriting them. So I thought, thought that was interesting. Dr. Gail Matthews conducted a study that clearly showed that people who write down their goals are more likely to achieve them. In fact, you're 42% more likely to reach your goal if you write it down. Isn't that interesting? Now, not write it down, tuck it in a drawer somewhere, but keep it in front of you so you know what, what it is. What is that goal? What is that dream? Now, you may say, well, 42% don't sound like a great, a great percentage. I don't know. If somebody came to me and could show me hey, if you invest your money over here, it'll grow by 42%. I would say, that's a good, that's good growth. It'll, it'll grow. So you're 42% more likely to accomplish your goal if you write it down. And Dr. Matthew's study also said 61% of goals that were written down were achieved. Now, that's a big number, considering that most stats say that people who have a New Year's rev 
resolution, they already have forgotten about it six weeks later. Well, 61 out of 100 of these goals are obtained when they write them down. I think there's something powerful about writing things down. Now, I'm not trying to teach you this like, oh my goodness, the world says we should write things down. No, I'm telling you this. God says we should write things down, and the world at least understands it, that this is, there's a truth to this, that we need to write things down. So, I want us to see that everything in our life is spiritual. Everything in our life ultimately is spiritual. I, I do want to, I want to qualify this. When our lives are going after God, and he becomes our priority, then I think everything we do is spiritual. Now, if your life's not going after God, I'm not saying everything you do in life is spiritual, but everything should move us towards a spiritual direction because our whole being is his. I, I love it's Colossians, I think it's chapter 3, says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, our life, not a part of our life. See, a lot of times Christians say, uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church for an hour or two on Sunday, and that's my Christian part. So out of 168 hours a week, I'm spending an hour or two in church. Therefore, all is well. No, God, God doesn't want two hours a week. God wants 168 hours a week. They're all his. I, I want to sleep spiritual. I want to I think spiritual. I want to I behave spiritual. It's... it's that should be the goal and guiding factor of our life. Do we all accomplish it all the time? Do I have to answer that for you? No. But shouldn't it be the direction of our life? Absolutely. I want you to look at this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Now, I've been, never been able to break myself of the habit. I've tried it a few times, tried different words. It's just I never got it done. Uh, I, I tried to break myself of calling this the worship team because I don't want us to think that this is just all worship is, singing a song. It's not. But I didn't succeed, so I still call them the worship team. And then I may say stuff like this, and you probably do too, Oh, man, I really enjoyed worship today. Now, what do we mean when we say that? We enjoyed the song service. But according to Romans 12:1, when I offer my life to God wholly and completely, and I make it a life that's pleasing to him, that is my spiritual act of worship. When you look through the New Testament, you will find that the Bible says, or even the Old Testament, that people fall on their faces before God and worship him, and there's never mention of singing a song. It's they were falling on their face before God, saying, you are God, I am not. And I'm wholly yours. And the Bible calls that worship. And so Romans says, give yourself to God, all of you, and that's your true and proper worship. And then verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you know the world is always, and has always, been trying to conform people into its pattern. Now, you may have to get a little age on. You probably don't notice it when you're six or nine. But if you watch TV, I promise you, you will see the pattern they're wanting you to think in. The, 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 how they want you to perceive culture and ideas and what's right and what's wrong. And you will see there's a pattern that they want. Now, now you say, 
are, are the, is an evil plan? Uh, I don't know if it's an evil plan, but I can tell you this. When you think a certain way, you project what you think. I can tell you if I was in charge of all media on planet Earth, it would be full of Jesus is awesome, serving God is amazing. I don't know why you would think anything different, that, because that's what I project. So people who don't know God or think God's a joke, they're, gonna, they're going to reveal what they think. And so the world's always trying to conform us. By the way, it's not something modern. It's always been around. In verse 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And by the way, God's will is good. Did you see that? God's will is pleasing. Does the world tell you that? That, man, you ought to go after God because he, his will for your life is good. It is pleasing. And it is perfect. I heard this story, assume it was true, it was told as being true. Here in the United States of America, people think, oh my goodness, if I really give my heart wholeheartedly to God, God's going to make me a missionary, and he's going to send me to, I don't know if you know what we used to all say, do you know where he was going to send everybody? Africa. Africa. I'm going to have to live in a hut, I'm going to have to get my own food somehow, I'm going to have to be a missionary in Africa. This is told as a true story. What happens then is when we send out things to the world, we often, uh, people will grab their junk and send it. So they'll grab their stinky, dirty work clothes and send that to Africa or wherever. And this one little kid gave their heart to the Lord and said, oh my goodness, I'm afraid that God is going to send me to America as a missionary. The reason they were afraid of that, honestly, because everything they got from America was junk. Everything they got stunk. Everything was ripped up and tore up. And so this little kid thought, America must be one awful bad place because this is what they send us. So I want you to know this. Whatever God does in your life, it will be good, and it will be pleasing, and it will be perfect. So what's going on in your life? You might notice there's different stages of life. Maybe you're raising a young family right now. Maybe you're navigating a, a new stage of life. Maybe you're going out of, out of childhood into the teens and teens into adulthood. Maybe you've just recently moved into retirement. Maybe you're working on your education or taking a new job. Or, or maybe you're just uh, trying to figure out how to breathe life back into your old job. Maybe you're starting a new business learning to play an instrument, embarking on some healthy choices, uh, eating nutritiously and exercising. As I talk about these things, most of those things to us seem, seriously, if I took a poll, that those things aren't spiritual. Those things are just natural or earthly or human. But if I stated to you, are you starting a new devotional to help you grow in your walk with God? Are you endeavoring to read through the Bible? Or maybe you're deciding I'm going to be steadfast to, to church attendance. Or I'm going to volunteer for a ministry at church. Or I'm taking a new course on how to better share my faith in Jesus Christ. We would say, ah, oh, those things are spiritual. Those are spiritual. But I want you to know, everything we do is spiritual if it is focused towards glorifying God. If my life's focused towards glorifying God, then how I treat my neighbor is spiritual. How I work is spiritual. Young people, how I prepare for 
for classes at school is, is spiritual. I did some of my best praying while taking tests, calling out to God, God help me. You know, it's a wonderful time to grow. I'll tell you what, I do remember doing this. I remember being at Franklin College, and I was, I, I, I seriously would study. I would study all the material, and I was sitting in a class one day, and I was going through the test, and I was not getting things at all. And I actually paused and said, Lord, you know that I studied all this. It's in there somewhere. You know, I wasn't slacking or, or not trying. I did my part. I studied everything. I'm asking you, God, give me recall to this. And then I remember I looked at the thing. Oh, and so I worked on that, and I flipped a page. And, oh, and I worked on that. And then I was, I was bouncing all over the test. And then the, the bell chimed, which I knew I had 15 more minutes to that class. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm not going to make it. And I started flipping through the thing. Every single answer was on there but one. Every single answer. And then I had time to finish it. And when I was done, and that test was graded, the professor came to me and said, there's nothing more I can teach you, son. Okay, that part wasn't true, but the rest of it, the rest of it was actually true. The rest of it was true. That God will help you. And it can be spiritual. You can have a spiritual encounter with God at school. So write the vision down. Make it plain. You can have a vision for your family or for your new job or for this new business you're starting or for your health and well-being. Those are all spiritual things. We're a whole being. God, God, I pray you be preserved blameless, the Bible says, spirit, soul, and body until the coming of the Lord. So ultimately, God tells Habakkuk, there's a lot of bad stuff going on. I agree. There's a lot more bad stuff that's still coming on its way. But I want you to know this. That those Babylonians, who really are pagan and wicked, all their wickedness is going to come back on their own head. And they're going to be defeated. And you know who's going to be left standing, Habakkuk? You are. You and my people, we are going to make it. And Habakkuk read that, got that word from the Lord, wrote it down. And the Lord told Habakkuk, remember this, in Habakkuk 2, 4, he said, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just or the righteous shall live by his faith. So when we're going through something, we say, all I got to hang on to is my faith. The righteous and the just shall live by his faith. And so everything's going to work out, God said. Sometimes that's all we know. I just trust God everything's going to work out. And God Habakkuk, I mean, he got it. He got it. If you read the last chapter, it's interesting because he says, I get it, God. Hey, I'm telling you right now. He said, if there's no fruit on the vines, if there's no crop in the fields, if there's no cattle in the stall, if there's no sheep in the pasture, you're still God, and I will rejoice in you. And he begins to rejoice in the Lord because he gets it. The mission is you're going to win. You're going to make it. And he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. So wherever you're at right now, hear the word of the Lord to Habakkuk and to us. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Everything's not perfect right now. God didn't candy coat it. There's still some stuff that's going to happen, but I'm telling you, when all the dust settles, you're going to be victorious. You're going to be the one standing. You're going to be the one who makes it. And when we really get it, 
I think we'll be like Habakkuk and say, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. So God encourages Habakkuk to get on with living and assures him that all will be well. But he does tell him, write this down. This is important. I don't think you or my people should ever forget this. And so Habakkuk does. Three beautiful chapters there in the scripture. So as you look at your life and you say, where am I going? What should I be doing? I, I get my mission. Glorify God. Love him. Love my neighbor. I, I, get, the, I get the mission. But what's that supposed to look like? I want to encourage you to pray. Ask the Lord. I want to encourage you to go to the word of God. Find out what God's word says on different topics. And then as you start to sense that you're having something from God, take a moment to write it down. It really won't hurt you to write it down. Write it down. Keep praying. You might look at that and say, wow, that needs to be tweaked because I feel like the Lord showed me some other things. And you keep adjusting. And you keep growing. And you keep going on with God. So this week, I want you to pick an area two of life and begin to seek God in prayer. Begin to read the scriptures. Begin to write things down that you think the Lord is showing you. You don't have to feel weird about that. You, you may discover that's not the Lord. Uh, but go ahead and write it down and see what the Lord shows you. I, I played a guitar and sang all my life. Not really wonderfully, but I have. And, and I'm, this story sounds funny, but it's, it's true and it relates to this. Sometimes I'd be playing my guitar before I go to bed at night and... and I'd just start singing a song, and I'd think, oh, my gosh. And so I, I would write a song, and I would just say, that's awesome. And then I figured out that I had to record it because I wouldn't remember the melody line well the next day. So I'd record it, and I would get up the next morning, and I would play that song, and I'd say, that is awful. That is, that, it sounded awesome at 11 o'clock last night. It does not sound good right now. And so... At least I was honest enough to hear that. And I'd be thinking, you know what? But here's something else. You can write a song to the Lord. Because it probably did sound awesome to the Lord. Just like when your kids sing you a song or color you something or do something like that. It looks awesome. You take a, a little picture your child has made in kindergarten. It gets popped on that refrigerator because... It means something to you. You love the one who loved you enough to draw the picture or sing the song or do whatever. And so write it out. Put it down. Think it through. Reprocess it. And remember this, only 3% of people take the time to write it down. I want to challenge you to be one of those 3%. It doesn't have to be a 20-page thing. I mean, I got stuff that's written down. It's just a paragraph long, you know, and I can build on it or, you know, erase it. And sometimes you may have something... That when you reread it later, you say, I don't even think this is something God wants me to pursue. And you can just put a big X in it. That's okay. Just be ever mindful of what God is up to in your life so that you and I can be everything we're called to be. Because you and I are headed for a day. We're headed for a day where we will hear this. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the, does anybody remember? The joy. Enter the joy of the Lord. Enter the joy of your master. And so that's a, a wonderful day, but we want to do it joyfully all the way till we get to that day. So let's pray together.